Week four, day one. Meet the sons of Korah. My name is Larry Vold and I serve as pastor of spiritual care here at Three Crosses. Psalm 42.3. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Today our journey through the Psalms breaks the seal on the second book of the Psalter, Psalm 42 through 72. A quick reminder, the Psalms are a collection of Hebrew poetry, which were the songs of God's people, like a hymnal, and used to express the heart's longings and concerns when in the presence of God. The diversity of their themes and how they cover virtually every kind of situation we face throughout our daily lives offer a rich treasure of divine inspiration and wisdom that can be called upon as often as we wish. Due to the vastness of the Psalter, ancient Hebrew scholars organized these songs into five different sections or books. The section we begin today seems to point toward assuring the worshiper that God goes before us into the good and bad of our experiences so that we can trust him always. Now the first eight songs in this section were either composed or performed by an unlikely source. You might notice at the top of each of these eight songs, that is Psalm 42 through 49, of the sons of Korah. Now who were the sons of Korah? If you know Old Testament history, You remember that Korah and his conspirators came and confronted Moses with the false accusation that he was being unfair over those who served among the Levitical priesthood. The tragic story of Korah's rebellion is recorded in Numbers 16, where God judges this rebellion by having the earth open up and literally swallow Korah and those who conspired along with him in a swift and dramatic judgment. And all of God's people saw it. While Korah and many others perished that dreadful day, we learn later in the book of Numbers that, according to chapter 26, verse 11, the line of Korah, however, did not die out. The sons of Korah were an important branch of the singers of the Kohathite division. That's found in 2 Chronicles 20, 19. These served as musicians who led the worship of God's people. Like all good worship leaders, the sons of Korah wrote or put music to the lyrics that were treasured among God's people. These songs told the story of God's redemption. Scholars are not entirely clear on whether Psalm 42 through 49, and then later Psalms 84, 85, 87 through 88, were written by the sons of Korah or merely put to music and performed by them. But either way, we know these psalms were viewed by God's people as the inspired work of God and can be relied upon to teach us God's character and ways for our spiritual growth. The general tone of this small collection of Psalms, 42 through 49, begin with that of a conflicted heart. I mean someone who is in one sense absolutely convinced that God reigns supreme over all people and circumstances, but in another, wonders at times how God could permit things to happen as they do in our world. This comes out most vividly in Psalm 42 and 43, which are often viewed as one psalm in Hebrew manuscripts. The refrain is repeated three times. Why so downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? 
But in each of these refrains, the writer anticipates his condition being transformed into praise as he turns to hope in God. Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God, he writes. All of us can relate to feeling in one moment overwhelmed and being swept under in the current or difficult or impossible circumstances that we face, and in the next moment, reminding ourselves that praising God is possible if we choose to put our hope in Him. Perhaps as you read this, your mind is toggling between a hardship which is crushing your spirit and the settled belief that God is good and is worthy of your praise. If we stop for just a moment and look back over the course of our lives, we might see this trajectory even more dramatic. That in life, there's a constant engagement between what's hard and foreboding, and alongside of this, the promise of God's faithfulness to pull us through. If this juxtaposition is the tone of these psalms set before us, then perhaps it's arguable that indeed the sons of Korah may very well have been perfectly positioned to recall both the tragic and inexplicable days of generations past and at the same time, the hopeful future that belongs to those who put their hope in God. We find a slightly different angle in this juxtaposition in Psalm 44. Here the psalmist reflects over the abundant evidence of God's power and faithfulness over circumstances described in the Torah, a word that describes the Hebrew law and the first five books of Moses. Yet now, evidence of a disconcerting and incongruent reality seems to present itself. Note the strong beginning. This is chapter 44, verse 1. We have heard with our ears, O God. Our fathers have told us what you did in their days, in days long ago. And then being convinced over the power of God to subdue any foe, and I quote, With your hand you drove out the nations and planted our fathers. You crushed the peoples and made our fathers flourish. Now the psalmist reaches a crescendo of his confidence in Jehovah in verse 8. In God we make our boast all day long. We will praise your name forever. Pause for a moment and think about the many times you've had this same conviction in your heart. You read the scriptures and say, God, you are great. You have always been my deliverer. You are worthy of my highest praise. But then something happens in life you didn't expect. The psalm continues, and I quote, But now you have rejected and humbled us. You no longer go out with our armies. You made us retreat before the enemy, and our adversaries have plundered us. Verses 9 and 10. <laughs> life just has a way of sneaking up and biting us when we don't expect it. Are you feeling the string of problems, suffering, difficulties, and are you beginning to wonder, where are you, God? It's a normal response of believers who know how faithful he is to wonder where he's gone when life gets hard. The Apostle Paul encourages believers in Rome who are suffering for their faith by quoting a section of Psalm 44 to them, and I quote, Yet for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. You recognize that? That comes from Romans 8.36. Paul wisely selected the theme and words of Psalm 44 to properly illustrate his point to the Romans that the irony to which much of Scripture points is that our problems notwithstanding, God is good and nothing can separate us from his love. This brings us back to the main question we've been asking throughout this series. How can we hold on to what we know is true about God's love for us when our trials and difficulties are actively clouding our rational thought and experiential emotions. 
Sometimes when life's circumstances are particularly difficult, a fresh vision of God can restore our vision and give us hope. Now Psalm 45 does just that. Set in the imagery of a royal wedding where the king receives his queen in marriage, the psalmist portrays a vision of God's splendor and majesty that is without parallel. I quote, Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. You love righteousness and hate wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. That's Psalm 45, 6 and 7. A careful reading of this text provokes the question of why the psalmist seems to refer to God addressing God. The answer to this comes in the New Testament. The writer of Hebrews attributes this section of the psalm to God the Father speaking to God the Son. We find that in Hebrews 1, verses 8 and 9. Therefore, we know that here in Psalm 45, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the writer is offering Old Testament saints a vision of the coming Messiah, the one through whom salvation would be purchased for all of God's redeemed. Hallelujah! We need a fresh vision of this Messiah to whom the Psalms point. Now, as we move to Psalm 46, we find also that this Psalm contributes a clear vision of God's majesty and the practical ways his power is worked out in our lives. I quote, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. That's verses 1 and 2. The opening words of Psalm 46 were the inspiration of Martin Luther's great 16th century hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. I remember singing that song many times as a kid in the little Baptist church where I attended with my family. I still love that song. It's in this psalm that the compound name of God, Jehovah Sabaoth, is used. The NIV translation, the Lord Almighty, there in verse 7, is literally the Lord of heaven's armies, or the Lord of hosts. This means our God fights for us. Is there anything more reassuring when you feel the world knocking you down than to know God will surely vindicate and work his ways to bring certain victory? So we are told in verse 10, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. Where are we reassured that God is mighty, exalted and fights on behalf of his people when we delight in the Torah and meditate on it day and night. Now we move on to Psalms 47 and 48, where we read a fresh vision of the Messiah and the reflection of the Lord, which are inspirational and full of praise. For example, Psalm 47 views God as enthroned above the earth, deserving everyone's praise. He reigns. He's the king. He subdues the nations and will have his way without compromise. Psalm 48 offers the same kind of vision, but focuses more on the Old Testament location of Zion, the great city of David, known for the place where God's spirit came to dwell among his people. The psalm envisions future generations being able to observe a city untouched by the ravages of war and wicked rulers. I quote, Walk about Zion, go around her, count her towers, consider well her ramparts, view her citadels, that you may tell of them to the next generation. 
For this God is our God forever and ever and will be our guide even to the end. That's verses 12 through 14. Unfortunately, because of Israel's sin and rejection of Messiah, God retained his honor by allowing Zion to be destroyed while promising a future day where it will once again be rebuilt, foreshadowing the new Jerusalem found in Revelation 21, and wherein once again his glory will reside. It's exciting to know that our bodies are now the temple, the place where God takes up residence, and that the church is his body, making his presence known everywhere that God's people live in community with one another. The songs of the sons of Korah in this section of the Psalter finish where they began. Psalm 49 promises that there is nothing to fear when evil days come, as in verse 5 says, or when surrounded by wicked deceivers, or when comparing their lives with the wealthy, verse 6. There is no one, whether high, low, rich, or poor, that need to miss out on the plan and purposes of God. No matter what the challenges might be in our lives today, we can take comfort knowing that the scriptures portray a God who will redeem our lives from the grave and take us to be with himself, verse 15. With a whisper of the reality of resurrection, the psalmist invites the worshiper to consider that truly, no one has it better than the one who is ransomed by Jehovah God and his Messiah. Do you fall into this category? Do you belong to Jehovah God through faith in his Messiah, Jesus Christ? Have you been forgiven and adopted into the family of God? If you feel a little confused by what you know about God with all the evil you see in the world, or even the challenges you're facing today, take heart. Keep following along this series because Psalms 42 through 49 maps out a pattern that we can follow throughout the rest of the Psalter. In the middle of your worst trials, God wants to draw your heart toward the law of the Lord and give you a fresh vision of the Messiah so that you might turn your present situation into an opportunity to worship God with hands raised and with loud voice declaring that God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. Psalm 42, 3 says, Why so downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him my Savior, and my God. Right now would be a good time to consider the truths of the scriptures in view of your present challenges. What would it look like for you to stop fighting your circumstances and let the God of heaven's armies step in and do what only he can do? Identify where you need him to intervene and spend some time today surrendering this area of your life to him.